thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We have a simple goal here on Concord Matters, to seek unity in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we might think that, yeah, harmony is not possible, but you know what? Scripture has something else to say. That the Apostle Paul says in Romans 15, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony that St. Paul speaks of by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. Because you see the Book of Concord is not another Bible, far from it. But we believe, teach, and confess that these writings are in accord with Holy Scripture, which is our only source and hope. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today we continue our study of the Augsburg Confession when it comes to church ceremonies and civil government. Clearly, we need ceremony. We need traditions. And also, we need the work of the government. Yet, how are, how are we to appropriately view these ceremonies how are we to engage the government is something that they asked in those days and we still ask today. So it sounds like a good topic for us. So open up your Bible and open up your book of Concord and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the Augsburg Confession from the beginning even to today, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome back Pastor Timothy Sims, of St. John Lutheran Church in Chester, Illinois. Pastor Sims, welcome back to Concord Matters. Thank you. Good to be with you. Pastor Sims, tell us about uh, what's going on for you and the saints at St. John. Well, we just finished up vacation Bible school, so we had a bunch of hey, bunch of little ones learning more about <laughs> uh, Jesus, and, uh, and, and hopefully, yeah. I, I believe so, some exposure maybe developing some new relationships with some people who don't have a church home, so that's always a good thing. And it went really well. And boy, I'd just give a shout out to all the volunteers who put in so much time and energy to make that happen. Uh, they do a great job. And uh, I just kind of show up and talk to the kids about Jesus. So it's got, they put in a lot more hard work than I do. So it's a good thing. And we're gearing up already to get going on a new school year too. So lots of good things going on. As always, lots of challenges, but also lots of joys. And that's a good reminder for you, our listeners, as we are recording um, and you're hearing this uh, in the beginning of September, most of the VBSs are uh, concluded by that point. But it's good to pray for uh, the saints as they give thanks for the work they did, because often it can be almost a thankless job, all the work that goes into VBS. But what's the main focus, which is what we're going to talk about today? The main focus is proclaiming Christ and caring for the needs of others. And so continue to pray for that. Some Sometimes it doesn't always work out. It's exhausting. Are you are you still recovering? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm doing fine. Uh, yeah, doing doing just just fine. Yeah, I think sometimes it's those uh, three and four year olds who uh, have take several months to recover from being at VBS That's every right. night. And the volunteers. Right. I'm yeah. into that. Yep. I'm into that. So pray for our parents as well as our kids have to recover as well. So yeah. anyways, so we're here to study the Book of Concord and the Augsburg Confession in particular. I want to point our, our listeners to the Book of Concord, which is Article 15 is where we are. Um, this is from the Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, from Concordia Publishing House, and we are in Article 15. And as we look at Article 15, there's a lot that leads us to this point, 
Last week, we were very blessed with Pastor Stuart Crown as we talked about the use of the sacraments and the order in the church. And I highly ask, I suggest that you, our listeners, listen to that. Pastor Crown is a wonderful teacher and also brings us to the ceremonies and the government in a beautiful way because it's grounded in the confession of Christ, grounded in what the church is and the who serves in the church. And now we ask questions about how, how do we do this thing? How do we do this ceremonies? We'll talk about that in the Mass later on. And also, how do we engage the world around us, which is obviously in the civil government? And um, I'm amazed at how these things also relate um, then, but how they relate also today. So let's start with Article 15 on page 39 of the Book of Concord, Article 15, Church Ceremonies, and we'll read the a note. Lutheranism embraces the good historic, historic traditions of the church especially those of the Western Church. These include such things as following the pattern of the church year, lectionary readings from the Bible, a liturgical order of worship, various festival days, vestments worn by clergy, and the use of candles, crucifixes, and other objects. As this article makes very clear, in the Lutheran Church, rites, decorations, or traditions are never used or followed to appease God's wrath or to earn forgiveness of sins. Lutheranism removed from the church useless and harmful traditions, such as monastic vows and insisting on certain foods on certain days. Pastor, as we begin to look at church ceremonies, this note really, uh, I guess, resets the tone for us. When we look at ceremonies, we might say, well, I, I don't have any ceremonies. I only had a wedding ceremony in my life, but there's traditions all over the place. And what, what, what do we have to remember as we look at church ceremonies? Well, we have a lot of freedom uh, in regard to these, um, and different people in different churches, different congregations, and different pastors may do different things with them, um, but the question always to be asked, of course, uh, can they be used and observed without sin? Do they point us to Christ in the gospel and uh, help in that regard? Or do they maybe serve as a distraction and maybe take our focus away from who Christ is and what he gives to us uh, in worship, for example? So those, I think, uh, are the two guiding principles uh, that are the most important. Well, let's start this way. In our world today, what are some of the concerns that we have about church ceremonies and maybe getting distracted, like you mentioned? Well, it can mean a lot of different things for different congregations. Uh, you know this as a district president. There's a lot of different things going on in different congregations. Mm -hmm. Some of them, uh, as, as I've heard some people put it, uh, you walk into their church and you are there for the service and you think, wow, that was very similar to a Roman Catholic way of worshiping. And others, it may not look anywhere similar to that. Um, no vestments, no, uh, no, not even, maybe not even a stole, you know, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of different things that churches can do. And some, some things are maybe more important or less important, depending on your context. Uh, and these are, of course, matters of adiaphora in many ways. And yet not all adiaphora is the same. We need to say, okay, what's, what's more important? What's less important? And even that may vary at times depending on the congregation or the culture that you're in and so forth and so on. So uh, maybe you go to a church and you attend a church where they do 
a processional cross for every single service. Maybe you go to a church where they never do a processional cross. Uh, The reality is uh, that the congregations are free to use or not use a processional cross as many times or as infrequently as they'd like. Do you deem it helpful? Is it seen as something that points to Christ and his cross? Or is it something that maybe is so strange to that worshiping community that it's just... It's, it's just an odd thing that distracts from the gospel. I suppose you could go in either direction. Um, mm-hmm. There are things like, uh, you know, whether you do or do not wear vestments, that sort of thing. Uh, early in the church, or in the, I should say early in the Lutheran church, there was, uh, there was some churches that were very much continuing to incorporate the things of the Roman Catholic church, and continuing in those, and there were some that were not using those anymore. Everything from the ringing of the altar bells when the the words of institution were spoken uh, to the use of incense or not using incense. And we see that. But the difference was the Lutheran church confessed that these things, A, were not mandated, nor were they forbidden. And second of all, Uh, They also did not provide an extra measure of grace or make the word and sacrament valid or invalid. And that differed from the Roman Catholic Church, which was leaning in the direction and confessing and practicing, no, you have to incorporate these traditions, otherwise you're not truly getting what Christ promises. Well, let's dig into the confession, because exactly, you've laid it out for us, as we hear the words of Melanchthon and the Concordians as they um, confess the truth. It says this, Our churches teach that ceremonies ought to be observed, that may be observed without sin. Also, ceremonies and other practices that are profitable for tranquility and good order in the church, in particular, holy days, festivals, and the like, ought to be observed. Now, Pastor, you're going to have a good Lutheran say right there, oh, wait a second here. I'm going to follow a ceremony, but without sin? I thought I was a sinner to my core. What do they mean to be observed without sin? What would you tell them? (laughs) Well, uh, as just mentioned earlier, are you distracting from the gospel or pointing toward it with those ceremonies? Are, Are they becoming an idol of themselves? Or are they simply helping in the proclamation and the reminding of people regarding who Christ is and what he does for us in general, dying and rising for our sins to give us eternal life, uh, or taking away from or helping in proclaim uh, what's happening in the divine service. And uh, if these things are helpful and they don't become an idol in and of themselves, then there's no reason why you can't continue in those, and they can become very helpful. On the other hand, maybe if you're treating them in such a way, or you attach some sort of grace or mercy or forgiveness of sins to those things, which Christ does not attach such gifts to, then it could become problematic. Now, that being said, if that's the case, that doesn't necessarily mean that you just throw the baby out with the bathwater and you get rid of it all. That was happening a lot with other reformers uh, during the time of the Reformation. 
getting rid of all ecclesiastical art, all dressings, all that kind of stuff. But uh, the Lutheran Church said, no, we're not going to get rid of something just because the Roman Catholic Church is doing it. If it is still deemed faithful and it points us to Christ and does not cause scandal, then we should continue in it. You know, the words there are, are, uh, are, are rather, well, they kind of hit me, all right? Ought to be observed, right? Versus it doesn't really matter whether you observe them or not. That's not really what it says. So uh, if you can continue in those and they're helpful, do so. And just getting rid of them wholesale, because that's what the Romanists are doing, regardless of whether they can be faithful or helpful in focusing on Christ, that's not necessarily the best way to go. I would use this example. There are certain parts of the worship service, for example, for, for let's say after we take communion, like in a, a common uh, divine service in the LCMS, is that it has the Noctuminus. Mm-hmm. And you sing this, yep. and you say, we should sing this. And people are like, I don't like the Noctuminus. And you're like, that's fine. Um, but it is the word of God, so don't act like it's <laughs> not right. You know, this is this is sarcastic. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm going to approach people in this way, but it is something that we kind of get to the point where sometimes we go by likability versus is it the word of God or not? Do I like the tune or do I not? And we get into those kind of battles. So in today's world, you don't see as much of the well, we sing the Nunc Dimittis in order to gain grace, but we also don't want to dismiss it because I don't like the tune because it is, after all, the Word of God. And so it's 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 similar, but not quite the same. we got to be careful not to make that a one-to-one. Um, but it is something, is it the Word of God, and does it point us to the hope in Christ? And And that's a question we should continually be asking because, as Pastor Sims knows, that as pastors, we have a tendency to judge what a service is doing somewhere else because it's not the way that I would do it. Yeah. Um, which is a good filter for us when we read this church ceremonies is, okay, what can I do that does not distract from the gospel? And at the same time, we're going to talk about this. Does this give a clear conscience to the sinner as they come to worship? And that's something we bring into every time we come to worship and say, Lord, help us to have a good, if you will, filter as we look forward. Any thoughts before we conclude the rest of this uh um, confession. Yeah, well, you you bring up a very good point. Um, and, you know, even as it regards to the prior article, order in the church, when you have a commonality in what's used in worship, whether that's a common lectionary, that's done in good order in order to keep with the seasons of the church and take us through the life and ministry of Christ and the significance for his ministry and his life, death, and resurrection for our sake. When it comes to something like the Nunc Dimittis, the reality is you don't have to sing the Nunc Dimittis. But man, what a beautiful thing to sing. And if it's been done before, why would you get rid of that simply because you don't like it? And I would also suggest this. There are things that we do in the church that sometimes we don't perceive as being very likable. We don't love those maybe even at the time. And yet over time, we're taught to learn to love them because they become associated with who Christ is and what he does for us. And you use the example of the Nunc Dimittis. Using a common liturgy that has something like that can be so valuable. Could we mix it up and maybe uh, 
do some sort of contemporary uh, style of a song or something different, or maybe even use the same words, but use a hundred different melodies to do it so that we keep variety going. I believe variety is a little overrated. Um, the, the reality is this, and you know this too as a pastor, how many times you've been at a bedside of someone who's dying and they can't seem to recognize anybody, they hardly remember their name, they can't hardly talk, and you are doing prayers or the commendation of the dying, and you break into the nunc dimittis, and they start moving the lips singing with you. What a beautiful thing. You're bringing them to remind, you're reminding them in continuing to do that, and that ceremony that you've done for so many years with that person as we've gathered in worship together, and now at a moment where they desperately need it, they're being reminded, Lord, I can now depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What a beautiful thing. And that's just one example, but things, ceremonies such as liturgy and other things can be used in such a way that there becomes some muscle memory, so to speak, for the believer, and it becomes a wonderful help when we desperately need it the most. The issue arises in you then say, see, you have to do that <laughs> or else, you know, and that's really what they're trying to make sure that you see how this soothes the conscience, like exactly what you said, soothes the conscience of, of a believer, not only because they've done it a lot, but because it is actually the word of God. Yeah. Um, as opposed to searing their conscience to say, oh my gosh, I didn't do it that Sunday. Therefore, I've, you know, I've dropped in God's grace, or I'm not a good Lutheran, or I'm not a good Christian, or something along those lines. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So let's continue to confess the rest of this article. Uh, because it speaks some very important words on page 39. Yet the people are taught that consciences are not to be burdened as though observing such things was necessary for salvation, as referenced in Colossians 2, verses 16 through 17. They are also taught that human traditions instituted to make atonement with God, to merit grace, and to make satisfaction for sins are opposed to the gospel and the doctrine of faith. So vows and traditions concerning meats and days and so forth, instituted to merit grace and to make satisfaction for sins, are useless and contrary to the gospel. One observation I have in this particular uh, article is it speaks about what we believe, teach, and confess. It doesn't have an explicit, by the way, we are against these people or what they've done here, but it's very clear of who they're speaking of, like you mentioned, the Romanist. But also it can come into the other realm, like you said, about the Reformed. One of our uh, uh, mutual friends, Dr. Leonard Payton, who's been on the program with us here, speaks about his life in the Reformed Church, that there was a time period where they didn't have any music whatsoever. Because they're like, well, we can't do music because the Catholics do music, therefore we don't do music. And he said, then it got to the point where your salvation was dependent on what you didn't do. <laughs> So it didn't sing music. You didn't have any art in there. And therefore, now you are saved. And how easily we can fall, even it's not even on the other side of the horse, how we can fall in the other direction. And so it always comes back to that understanding of 
what, how am I in a right relationship with Christ, which is the word of God, the sacraments, and try not to distract from that the best we can, which is um, exactly what their main focus was. Pastor, what are your thoughts, those last uh, few words in this confession? Well, um, I agree 100% with that, and you're right. We do tend to overcorrect, and the <laughs> reality is that there are issues there if if we think that certain ceremonies that are not commanded by Christ merit grace or somehow uh, make or even just make the grace better, right? Um, that can become an issue. And yet at the same time, uh, and so we want to make sure we, we fight against that. On the other hand, I think the best way is just to teach, to teach. Here's what's happening here and why we do it. And it's not because it gives you any more or less of Jesus or makes you any more or less saved. But we do this as uh, things that help us focus on who Christ is and what he is actually doing in his word and through his sacraments, as long as these things help to point us to those things. And there's some wonderful examples of that. Making the sign of the cross. You don't have to make the sign of the cross. And as a Lutheran, you're free to make the sign of the cross. You're free to not make the sign of the cross. And yet, if you do make the sign of the cross, why are you doing it? Because I have to. No, because if I do that during the confession and absolution, when the pastor uh, says, I, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Somehow your sins are really forgiven. If I, you know, if I make the sign of the cross while the pastor says that and make the sign of the cross on me. Versus if I hadn't done it, well, maybe my sins aren't quite as forgiven. No, that's hogwash. Uh, and yet you can make the sign of the cross if you choose to do so. As a beautiful reminder that Jesus took your sins to the cross and you are marked by the cross in baptism and you bear that cross as a believer in Christ, as one who is marked, branded with the mark of Jesus as a forgiven sinner whose sins are forgiven and who now who has salvation in Jesus Christ. So uh, that's a very helpful thing. It doesn't enhance, it doesn't make uh, extra special of uh, what you've received in that confession and absolution. But if it serves as a good reminder for you regarding who Jesus is for you and what he's done for you and your identity in Christ as a baptized believer in Christ, then then do it. And, and likewise, no one should look down their nose at you if they don't do it and you do. And if you're one who does it, you shouldn't look down your nose at somebody who doesn't either. Uh, and, and so that, that's another, you know, example that you don't have to do that. Um, and there are all, all kinds of things that fall into that category that can be wonderful reminders for us and things that point us to the word of God and to Jesus. Uh, and yet they're ceremonies. They can be done or they cannot be done. And it comes down to a, a, a very important role that our pastors, our workers, our leaders in the congregation is what 
what is distracting? Because you can have people that would say it's distracting that that guy over there makes a sign of the cross where that is a one, uh, there's a care of souls issue there. Like, why would that be distracting to you while you're looking to the cross at the same time when somebody else makes a sign of the cross and says, well, how come they're not doing it? Like you mentioned before. And that's my encouragement to our listeners is to, to, to always think about, you know, the care of the people with you. Um, in your congregation, because we can make these things the main thing, and it can separate congregations in in, in ways that are, are not appropriate, let alone faithful, let alone helpful <laughs> to the mission of the cross, but also uh, for all of us to know the story. So, for example, there's a church that I have visited before that um, that the question was come up brought up by their pastor, can we do a processional cross for Easter? which makes a lot of sense. A lot of churches do this. And the church adamantly said no. And it was hard to delineate why. Like, why, why are they so against this? I mean, you teach, you, you point, and they talk about it. Well, they'd had a pastor in their past that had a lot, there were a lot of conflict at that time. And he was adamant that he had to have the processional cross every Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And that was stuck in their mind so clearly. Yeah. Um, and so that's where patience, oh, oh, Holy Spirit, give us patience with one another to bear with, with another in love. Yeah. Uh, Pastor, about a minute left before our break. What well, and that that's, you're bringing up another thing. You brought up individual things, and then there's corporate things of the congregation. So another mm. example here, believe it or not, are you ready for this? We burn mm. incense occasionally at St. John Lutheran Church in Chester, Illinois. What? That's Roman Catholic. No, not necessarily. But here's how it came about. It hadn't been done really in the past, but we were doing the service of evening prayer, and there's a note there about it may be appropriate here to burn incense as you do the psalmody. Um, may our prayer rise before you as incense, the lifting up of our hands as the evening sacrifice. And I have burned incense devotionally on my own privately for a long time. I have never once proposed it for a church because I know what a divisive thing that could possibly be. But I actually had multiple members come to me and say, is there any reason why we couldn't burn incense there? And that, and then from that moment, continuing to talk about it with people and have them ask me and talking about it with the elders, over the course of two and a half years, we reached a point where we agreed we would burn incense during that portion of the service of evening prayer only as we did it for midweek Advent services. So that's the only time we do it. And yet we do it, but, but for me as pastor, uh, when I first had the question fielded to me, I basically said, well, there, the reason why we wouldn't maybe do it is because what type of offense might it cause? Could it possibly cause some unnecessary offense with some people in the congregation? And I said, if so, that would be a distraction that we're causing that would not be good. So this is something we should talk about. We should pray about. We should educate ourselves on whether it's appropriate or not. And if it is deemed something that would be appropriate and the congregation's okay with it, fine. If not, then we shouldn't because we don't want to cause unnecessary offense because it is a ceremony that's neither commanded nor forbidden for us in the New Testament. So we ended up, we actually do that now during Advent, but I'm telling you right now, as much as I think it can be helpful, 
had no one ever said anything to me and had they not brought it up to me and had it not been uh, made clear to me as a pastor that that people are going to be okay with this i never even would have proposed it let alone done it well we'll talk more about this on the other side of our break we are confessing the truth of god's word concerning church ceremonies and civil government as confessed in the augsburg confession and we'll be right back. Many church workers always knew they wanted to serve in Christ's church, but for some, the passion to become a pastor, teacher, deaconess, or other full-time church worker came later in life. Leaving a career to pursue this life of service is not without challenges, yet these are sacred and joyous vocations unlike any other. Set apart to serve, the Church Work Recruitment Initiative of the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate is here to help. Visit kfuo.org SAS to learn how you can put your experience and skills to work through full-time service in Christ's church. That's kfuo.org SAS. back. We are studying what Holy Scripture has to say about church ceremonies and civil government as confessed in the Augsburg Confession with Pastor Tim Sims of St. John Lutheran Church in Chester, Illinois. Now, Pastor, uh, we are going to be moving on to civil government, but church ceremonies is so prominent for all of us, and it looks so different for everybody. So for our listeners today, we have ceremonies in our home devotional life. We have ceremonies in our congregations. We have ceremonies in the, I would say, the piety of a, the weekly uh, life of the life of a congregation. Uh, we have piety within how we do it, how we worship ourselves. What would be your encouragement for our listeners as they try to navigate this church ceremonial world and keep the main thing the main thing? Well, I think you you named it. I think you named it earlier. Uh, you basically said there needs to be patience and conversation. Um, learn history and culture. Take into consideration what may or may not cause unnecessary offense and what will uh, instead help to point us to Christ. And that may look different at different congregations, and that's okay. And what you do individually may be very different than, than what the person next to you does. And that's okay, too. Maybe someone bows their heads when they pray. Maybe someone lifts their hands up into the air towards the heavens when they pray. Okay. <laughs> Just see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. See your congregation as a community in Christ. And simply have conversations and be patient with one another. And, uh, and just talk about these things together as the body of Christ. Well, let's continue on as we talk about patience and prayer. Uh, we'll talk about the government. Um, <laughs> so we come to Article 16, and, and speaking about the civil government, and I just encourage you, our listeners, that there's a lot of information and a lot of wonderful uh, teaching tools as we look as Lutherans at the government about the right and left-hand kingdom. And we'll be speaking about that today, but there's so much out there. I would, I would, I would ask for you to look it up online. Um, the two realms uh, in the kingdom. And, and what does that mean for us as we engage uh, the government? It's way too easy to just start putting out like, oh, uh, uh, church and state or libertarian versus whatever it might be, as opposed for us, first of all, to look to Christ. And second of all, to be able to engage this as our 
forefathers and foremothers did. So we're looking at Article chapter Article 16, excuse me, civil government on page 39 um, in the Book of Concord of the Augsburg Confession. So we continue with the note. It was important for Lutherans to make clear they did not share the beliefs of the radical reformers of the 16th century. Some of these radicals rejected all forms of order and authority in both church and state, even rejecting their homes and families in order to be super spiritual. This article points to the biblical doctrine of the two kingdoms, a way of speaking about God's care for us spiritually through the church and temporally through the various orders in society, chiefly home and government. Christians live out their various callings in life in service to God and their fellow humans, doing so in the stations or situations to which God has called them. Pastor, it mentions, as I mentioned before, the two kingdoms. Can you can you teach us about what are the two kingdoms? Well, we have in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says, before he gives what we often call the, the Great Commission. Uh, and then we have Paul expounding on this idea a little bit more. I think if you really want to dive into Scripture and look at it in detail, check out Romans 12 and Romans 13. And there seems to be a pretty clear distinction uh, regarding how we handle ourselves as the church and how government is to handle itself. Um, and Paul has respect for both. I mean, so does Jesus. I mean, Jesus stands before Pilate and says, you would have no authority had it not been given to you from heaven. So even, even when we believe the government's being scandalous and not doing what they should, it's okay for us to speak out about that. But we need to understand that the Lord will even use unfaithful rulers and unfaithful governments to further his kingdom. Had Pilate been faithful, Jesus would not have died for our sins, <laughs> which is a radical thing to think about, but it's absolutely true. Um, and so that that's part of it uh, as well. But the, the right-hand realm uh, of God's authority is his church, and the left-hand realm of authority is civil government. And and there's a distinction there, maybe not the separation we like to sometimes think about as modern Americans. The idea of separation of church and state and citing Luther as the source and inspiration for that, uh, there should at least be some footnotes on that. Because uh, Luther had some things to say on that, and it, the, the concept may have been born from Luther but he's not the separatist that we sometimes paint him out to be. He, he truly put forth the idea that Christians should be involved in civic government. And as a matter of fact, he's assuming that those who are in civic authority should be and need to be God-fearing Christian people in order for, for the world not to fall into evil and chaos. So let's, on that in mind, as an interpretive key, as we look at this, um, it's a good reminder for all of us, too, what Scripture has to say, like he mentions in Romans 12, other parts, when it tells us to pray for our government leaders. And this gets very touchy. I'll give you an example. A couple weeks ago, I prayed in church, as we do in our litany, um, uh, litany in, in our hymnal, the Great Litany, and also other, other just prayer litanies that we have in the church. And it simply says, pray for your 
pray for your government authorities. And so I simply did this. I prayed for President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. And when I left, you know, I visited a lot of congregations. There was one gentleman who said, everything was good until you mentioned the president's name. And you're like, oh boy, that's not, that's not, an, a, that's definitely not a two kingdom realm interpretation of what we're doing. So that's just my encouragement to you, our, our listeners, is that we probably should follow scripture and how we understand it, how we engage it is something that we take very seriously, while at the same time trusting that our hope always is not in princes, but in our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's dig in with all that in mind um, to the confession of Article uh, 16. Our churches teach that lawful civil regulations are good works of God. They teach that it is right for Christians to hold political office, to serve as judges, to judge matters by imperial laws, and other existing laws, to impose just punishments, to engage in just wars, to serve as soldiers, to make legal contracts, to hold property, to take oaths when required by the magistrates, for a man to marry a wife or a woman to be given in marriage. Romans 13 in 1 Corinthians 7. Pastor, what, is, what does he tell us when it comes to civil government? What is the Christian to do? What can they do? Well, first of all, um, we need to understand that God is working through history and through figures. That doesn't make everything that every leader does okay. <laughs> there, there are things that leaders do uh, that are not good. They're not right. They're not meet, right and salutary. They're not... They're not God-fearing, uh, but God will still use it. He's using all history to give glory to himself, okay? And we just touched on that a few minutes ago with the idea that, you know, if, if, if Pontius Pilate does the right thing, instead of washing his hands and being a coward, so to speak, uh, we have no Savior, you know? So God will use these things, Uh the big thing out of what you just talked about, too, is that Christians should hold political office. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Luther understood that while you should not have church leaders holding office in the church and the government at the same time, it is good for God-fearing Christian people to be in political office. Why would you want a godless scoundrel to be your leader? Right? So if we Christians completely take ourselves out of the equation, well, that wouldn't be helpful even for our neighbor who isn't a believer. Right? And so that's an important thing uh, for us to keep in mind. Um, you mentioned a wonderful thing just a few minutes ago. You and, I, you and I were both in Wisconsin about the same time. I remember I used to love praying for Governor Scott Walker and President Barack Obama. And I always, I never prayed for one without praying for the other. Because they were about as big a polar opposites on the political spectrum as you could ever imagine. And it's just a great example of how you don't pray for the leaders that you like. You don't pray for the leaders that you voted for. You pray for your leaders as commanded in the scriptures, period. And, uh, and we're called on to do that. You can do that. Uh, very graciously and humbly, no matter what individuals we may support or don't support, or what individual parties we support or don't support, they're to be prayed for, period. This points us to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 
where it says, first of all, Paul writing to Timothy, then I urge all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings to be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Now, it also speaks about he wants all to be saved. And so there is there is that reality that, that we do, not only um, is it okay to serve in political office, not only is it okay to be judges and others, but we, who, who have, whoever is in those office offices, that they were put there by God, we don't always understand why, but we are to bring them to the feet of Christ, that the Lord would work through them, that there would be good order. And if the person is not a believer, this is very clear, that we do pray that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that can be difficult, as you mentioned. I mean, <laughs> it's so full of emotion and other issues. And, and Pastor, what are some, maybe some examples of, of what you've seen with this and the tension that we live with in America and in the world or other, other pastoral implications? Well, I think uh, for a lot of us, there, it was interesting with, around the time of COVID, it was also a very tense political time. And uh, and there there could be some real tensions there, um, and understandably people have some very strong uh, feelings and thoughts about politics, uh, and yet uh, to get through that difficult time, uh, and hopefully still come away with the idea that, hey, listen, when you walk into this church, there's going to be Republicans, there's going to be Democrats, there's going to be Independents. And every single one of them is someone that Jesus loved enough to die for. So we treat each other with dignity and respect. Uh, we're going to pray for our leaders because every single one of those leaders, whether we think they're wonderful or horrible, are people that Jesus loved enough to die for. And, you know, uh, whether we think they're doing the right thing or not is really even irrelevant. We can pray that they would be led in the right direction if we if we think they're going taking us in the wrong direction. But think back to the that text that you just cited, Paul writing to Timothy. Paul's going to end up being executed by a Roman government official. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and right. Peter will write very similar things. The very same Peter who said in Acts chapter 5, we must obey God rather than men, still urges the church in his letters to pray for those who are in positions of authority. Um, there has, you know, we're kind of used to the idea that, uh, that the government should be almost a Christian entity. That's an idea that's completely foreign to the early church. And they were dealing with persecution to a much greater degree than we've ever been accustomed to. And yet the likes of Paul, the likes of Peter, what are they doing? They're urging the church to pray for those who are in authority, urging them to be respectful of those who are in authority, even though those authorities seem to be pitted against the gospel at times. Uh, and so that's a very important thing for us to consider. Um, and I would even say this, hey, if you, if you think that things are going in the wrong direction, maybe you consider running for office. <laughs> Right. Uh, I think we'll find it's a lot more difficult than we think. And uh, mm -hmm. and there's not only nothing wrong with having good God-fearing, faithful Christians and Lutherans in office, but that's a beautiful thing. Uh, and so if you feel so moved to do that, 
uh, hey, follow that and, and uh, pray that the Lord would use you uh, to take people in the right direction. Let's continue in, in the context of Article 16, because it says one thing and it says, OK, this is what we believe. But there's a context to this, because here it is not so much of a of a proclamation against Rome. It really is speak about the Anabaptists, which I think is unique within um, specifically unique in the Augsburg Confession, because much of what was said was against what Rome was teaching. But here, they are speaking very much so against Anabaptists. So we'll dig into that a little bit more. On page 40 is where we are, um, and number 3 in Article 16. Our churches condemn the Anabaptists, who forbid these political offices to Christians. They also condemn those who do not locate evangelical perfection in the fear of God and in faith, but place it in forsaking political offices. For the gospel teaches in that an eternal righteousness of the heart, Romans 10. At the same time, it does not require the destruction of the civil state or the family. The gospel very much requires that they be preserved as God's ordinances and that love be practiced in such ordinances. Therefore, it is necessary for Christians to be obedient to their rulers and laws. The only exception is when they are commanded to sin, then they ought to obey God rather than men. So, Pastor, it talks about the Anabaptists. What were the Anabaptists saying and doing in those days? Well, they were doing a lot of things. We'll stick to it. <laughs> we'll, stick, we'll stick specifically <laughs> as it regards to this issue. Um, they, they probably engaged in what we would simply call an extreme overcorrection. The reality was there were some problems with Roman Catholic church officials also holding public civic office. And as a result, there was a lot of corruption and a lot of bad things going on by people who were seen as servants of the church. That was a problem. But as you mentioned, that's not really what is mentioned here in this particular article of the Augsburg Confession. Um, we would say that it would not be appropriate for someone to hold both offices at the same time, but there's nothing wrong with a Christian being in a political office or a government office. The Anabaptists took it to the other extreme and said, no, look at all the problems this causes. You need to stay completely away from anything to do with political office or the government if you're going to be a Christian. And furthermore, they took it even farther, as you mentioned, uh, or as you read there, uh, they actually placed their perfection, their sanctification uh, in this idea that you had to forsake political offices to truly be a Christian. And we don't see that at all uh, in the New Testament. We don't see that in the Scriptures. And so that's a command that they kind of added in response to what had been going on with mixture of church and government officials uh, in the Middle Ages, which was problematic, but it's just a gross uh, overcorrection. Furthermore, as I mentioned before, if you are a Christian and you believe, if for just a moment, put the idea that we want all people to believe in Jesus and be saved, and maybe even just focus on, focus on biblical morality, 
why would you want the government to be completely filled with people who have no fear of God and are not Christians? That could make for a very difficult, difficult scenario. Uh, and if we take ourselves completely out of that sphere and, uh, and things go awry, well, we've basically just got exactly what we asked for. Because we said, those who fear the Lord and trust and believe in him and have a biblical sense of morality shouldn't be involved. Well, if they're not involved, what are you expecting to get? Uh, and so uh, it's just a, a gross overreaction that doesn't really prove to be helpful to the individual Christian, the church, or society as a whole. It also speaks about almost a, an assumption that not only should you forsake being part of the government, but also that the government should almost be destroyed. Yeah. At the same time, it does not require the destruction of the civil state or the family, which is kind of an interesting addition. Um, the gospel very much requires that it be preserved as God's ordinances and the law be practiced in such ordinances. Yeah. So it, there was some extreme cases of this in the Anabaptists. Well, and we've seen maybe not necessarily on the level of Christian confession, but throughout history— it's really cool to be an anarchist until you actually mm. have anarchy. <laughs> and then you realize, oh man, this this is horrible. There's no order. There's no policing. There's no justice. Everybody's just out doing what they want to do for themselves and they don't care how it affects anybody else. Uh, anarchy is a really uh, interesting romantic notion until you're actually in it. And then you realize, oh no, this is horrible. We don't, we don't want a society where there are no rules and no governance and no people to enforce laws and bring about justice. Makes for a good movie. Yes, it does. Yeah, I always, I, yeah. I want to keep that in the movie, not for the sake yeah, of Yeah, as long as I'm system. sitting so. on my couch in my house as the police car drives by and is on patrol and there's no issues going on i can watch that chaos on my tv and think it's wonderfully entertaining can i <laughs> absolutely absolutely so for for you our listeners it is just another reminder of prayer uh, of prayer like pastor mentioned to pray for those who work in the government entities it's very easy to say they're all crooks or something along those lines but to be able to pray because what they do is God's work, um, not God's work of the gospel. We're not saying that, but God's work of order for the sake of your neighbor. So that extends down to our firefighters, our police officers, obviously those who are in the military and other entities that are continually serving for the sake of their neighbor, wherever their faith may be. And that I have to repent of my own reality on this is I'm not good at that. I'm really not good at praying for those in order, which is why I encourage our listeners often, pray the litany, which is in your hymnal, um, because that great, you can look it up online as well, because it is all encompassing. It includes all these things that we often are not very good at praying ourselves. Pastor, um, um, there's still more to this uh, confession. What else do you want to highlight? Well, I'll, I'll follow up on that a little bit too. You know what I'm really good at is praying for them, but then when I'm not praying for them, I'm cursing them. <laughs> yeah, right, you know, oh, right, goodness, right. Lord have mercy. Uh, I am a horrible sinner. Uh, it, that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important for us to do that in church. Because we probably spend a lot of the other six days of our week 
doing nothing but getting upset and condemning those who are in positions of authority, it kind of hits the reset button and says, oh, you know what? What has my complaining done to help any situation? It hasn't helped it at all. So I should repent of my sin in the way that I've thought of and talked about our government officials, no matter who they may be, and I should pray for them. And so that's why it's important for us as a church, I think, to do that on a very uh, regular basis. Yeah. So we look at the end of this confession, and it says, The only exception is when they are commanded to sin, they ought to obey God rather than men. Pastor, we have about three and a half minutes left in our time, and I really want to make sure we cover this um, very thoroughly, is, okay, uh, sometimes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, sometimes you're like, I'm not so sure if this is where I should stand up like they did in Acts chapter 5. How would you help uh, the, our listeners distinguish when this is true and when this is not? Whew. Wow, maybe they should help me. Um, <laughs> I think sometimes it's easier than others. Uh, I, I think we went through that a lot during things like, oh, you remember not too far back, we had things like COVID lockdowns and so forth and so on. And that caused a lot of contention uh, in the church. I, I think part of the tension that we had in the church was that we truly take uh, being a faithful church but also being respectful of government very seriously. It would have been real easy uh, if we had not been so concerned about being faithful to just go along with everything and not question it. I also think it would have been real easy if we were concerned about faithfulness to Christ and doing what the church should do without any concern whatsoever for being uh, respectful of civic authority to just say, oh, forget them, we're going to do whatever we want, right? Um, but because we have this balance that, that we see in the scriptures and that Luther's talking about here, sometimes it doesn't, it's not so black and white. Maybe there are some gray areas. Maybe we have trouble. And that's why we should always approach such things with a great amount of humility and a great spirit of repentance. And uh, so whether you're in the, at the moment, spirit of repentance and humility, Lord, together we're going to do the best we can to be faithful as your church and also be respectful of government. There's probably going to be some aspects in which we don't do it very well. And when you then look back with a spirit of repentance and say, oh, you know what, maybe I wouldn't do it exactly the same if the situation came up again. Uh, forgive me, Lord, maybe I wasn't as faithful as I should have been. Or, forgive me, Lord, maybe I wasn't as respectful to authority as I should have been. I think the whole COVID situation was a good example of that tension and how difficult it can be to deal with it if you, you know, I, uh, I, I heard it said during that, you know, God's commands are not pitted against each other. So the third commandment and the fourth commandment, you shall remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy, and you shall uh, honor your father and your mother, which includes governing authorities. They're not pitted against each other. 
But when we, as those who are in Christ, live in a fallen, sinful world, there, there are going to be times when there are tensions. And that always leads us back to our knees, looking to Christ in a spirit of humility and repentance, and asking for his guidance through his word, and also asking for forgiveness when we fall short and maybe don't do things exactly the way we should. Pastor Tim Sims of St. John Lutheran Church in Chester, Illinois, clearly confessing the truth of church ceremonies and civil government according to God's word as confessed in the Augsburg Confession. Pastor Sims, thank you for being our guest. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finneran. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.